the road to Acapulco is very hard indeed. And it isn't any better if you haven't any weed. Henry's driving hard straight on Tizzy Mountain Road. Fifty people waiting back in Okay, welcome to the Nice Guys Delivery Podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and joining me today is my friend Ryan Hunter, who has just flown in from Colorado for his new venture with the folks up at Redwood Roots in Humboldt County. Hey, Rob, good to see you again. Great to be here. Thanks for coming in. Let's go back a little bit and tell folks about your uh, your history in the cannabis industry and sure all the stuff going on in Colorado and how you wound up here in California today. You know, I, I wound up uh, finding my way into the cannabis business in 2015, uh, but have been a cannabis consumer since my teens, and, and it always been a part of my life, and I mostly spent my career working in the technology industry out here, out in the Bay Area, the software companies, big and small. All the while, had a, uh, a steady affection and relationship with the plant. And as cannabis got legalized in Colorado, I started to try to find my way into the industry. Uh, I was running a company in 2015 and we had sold the company and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And uh, a guy found me who had invented a new technology for cannabis oil extraction. And I was uh, uh, very interested in what was happening in the industry. It was pretty new still then. Um, and so I came on board with him. He said, I- I'm an inventor. I need to work with somebody who knows how to build companies. And that's what I do. So uh, we started out. I uh, did okay for a while. But as sometimes happens with, with small companies, we, we didn't necessarily see eye to eye on the direction forward. So we wound up going our separate ways. But I'd gotten into the industry. My family was was very supportive of that. I was. Uh, they were used to me being kind of the crooked tree in the orchard of straight trees of our family. So um, I was encouraged to stick with it, and and I did. And I wound up meeting uh, John Fritzel, who at the time was one of the largest license holders in the state of Colorado. He was the founder of the Lightshade chain of dispensaries and started uh, M. Hardeen, which was a cultivation management company. And he also owned uh, the largest medical dispensary in Colorado, which is a dispensary called Potco. So he brought me on board uh, to be the general manager for that dispensary and to also uh, build a a farm down in Pueblo. Uh, Built about a 10-acre farm down there for outdoor cultivation uh, on the site of uh, a guy named Sean Honecker who runs a farm out there called Yeti Farms. He was the landlord and gave me a ton of advice in, in going about that. I came from a farming family. My, my family on my mom's side uh, has been growing corn and beans in Kentucky for more than 200 years. Um, knew it was in my blood. Uh, and I definitely had a lot of advice. Uh, I had uh, a strong cultivation manager there, but we took that land from prairie grass to a full harvest in, in one year's time. Uh, so it was very rewarding work, and I, and I learned a ton. Um, and at that time, I was also still managing uh, the Potco uh, dispensary there in Colorado, which is a very successful medical dispensary. But I, I wanted to do something a little bit more. I wanted to do something on the national level where in, uh, you know, in Colorado, there aren't many of those opportunities. But I started to get to know the folks uh, from Willie Nelson's company. We got that farm into harvest on October 2nd of 2017. I got my job offer from Willie's mid-October that year, and I started November 1st 
with them. And so I've, I spent around the, the last almost four years uh, working with uh, Willie's company and, and taking it from two states to eight states across the country, turning it into a national brand. And uh, I have uh, a new opportunity that I've been working on since the beginning of April with another cannabis brand called Hervé, and I'm the chief strategy officer for Hervé. Uh, but what you mentioned, Rob, was the work that I'm doing with Redwood Roots Distribution up in Humboldt County, and I've also joined their board of directors, and I'm, I'm super excited to be working with them. We'll get to that in a second. Let's go back a second. Sure. Talk about building a farm in Colorado for yeah. outdoor. Is outdoor growing schedule and harvesting is that the like the on the same schedule as like California where you'd be harvesting late September October and does weather make that impossible in Colorado? Every farmer, no matter where they are, they struggle with weather to some extent. Um, and I would say, you know, there's certain parts of Colorado that lend themselves more to that style of cultivation. But certainly, as most people know, in Colorado, we're, we're pretty much dominated by indoor cannabis cultivation, fair amount of greenhouse cultivation. Uh, but Pueblo and the surrounding area there have a climate band. Uh, it's often called the banana belt in Colorado, where they get tend to be a little bit uh, warmer weather, though, although last year uh, they definitely saw a fair amount of snow in early October, late September that uh, that that ruined uh, a pretty big chunk of the harvest last year for outdoor farmers in Colorado. So it's you definitely have uh, more of a risk there around snow. We tend to have a later last frost and an earlier first frost in the fall. So there's some some things that you have to contend with. But as you get to know the weather cycles, you can plan around most of them. But yeah, you, you get a, a few inches of snow on the plants and there's not a whole lot to do about that, especially if they're growing big. We had met through your association through Willie's Reserve and working for the Willie Nelson brand. Give us, give us a little of your thoughts on celebrity brands and the competition and the marketplace. And then maybe regale us with the story about working with the world's greatest human. <laughs> okay. Uh, so a couple of things there, I guess. You know, one of the things I think that we really prided ourselves on, or, and they still do at, at Willie's Reserve, is not just relying on Willie uh, to have his name out there. We took the took his legacy or take his legacy very seriously. So we did a lot of work to hand select uh, the flower strains that were included in the brand. That was, I think, one of the things that I enjoyed more than anything was getting to have that opportunity. So I worked closely with the cultivators and the markets that we were in, the states that we were in, to choose flower that I thought would uh, stand up to Willie's reputation and to his standards. So that was a big piece of it. The other thing that we really worked hard to do, and again, my colleagues there certainly deserve uh, more credit than me for this, but uh, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Elizabeth Hogan, who's one of the founders there, and she's the head of, of brand, and um, Jeff Gillis, Nicole Kennebec, uh, and a few other folks there really put together a world-class uh, marketing program that you would find with, with typical consumer packaged products uh, of any sort, not just cannabis. So I think that was one of the things that set us apart from the, what the uh, you know other brands that are out there. Whether they're a celebrity brand or not, I think at the end of the day, the product has to have a uh, high quality or have, you know, whatever the quality is supposed to be. It's not all, it doesn't all have to be triple A, right? There's, there's room for the mids too, but whatever the case is, 
you, you can't just put a celebrity's name on uh, a package and expect it to to do well. So that that was uh, one of the biggest things I think that we learned and and were really committed to in developing that brand is not just to say okay we'll put Willie's name on it and it'll sell. Um, you, you really has to mean something. You really have to do something with that. And so that's what I would say whether the brand is inspired by a celebrity or whether the brand is something that somebody came up with on their back porch, uh, it's got to stand for something and, and consumers will get that right away. So if it doesn't stand for something, doesn't matter if it's Willie's name on it or Bob Marley's name on it or whoever's name on it, it's not going to go anywhere. So that, that was probably the biggest thing I learned. I know in California that you've done extremely well selecting the flower and growers that you use yeah. for willies. Shout out to Catalyst Farm. Shout out to Moonmate. Yeah, flowers up there and uh, both up. Lots of great down. farmers. Uh, yeah, just delicious stuff. Tell us about the the challenge of trying to make that happen in a state like Maryland or Massachusetts or other places that are not like Colorado and California and Washington and Oregon, where it might sure. be more easily grown and cultivated well i think when when you look at those other states you, you really what we try to do is find cultivators and distributors that again um are are really dedicated to growing high quality cannabis and and not just whatever genetics they have or whatever grows well in the grow that they're in they they try to identify cultivars or strains of cannabis that are going to appeal to folks and and that they can do it in a, in a conscientious way and and the way that they cultivate may differ you know from from state to state or even from cultivator to cultivator because of the regulations they're dealing with the environment that they're having to cultivate in um but you know and i i hear plenty of people knocking big indoor grows and corporate cannabis uh, but what I would say is it's possible to find people even in those environments who care deeply about the plant, who care deeply about the people and the patients in many cases that consume the plant either for whatever the need. And, and those are the folks that we would try to find. And then we would go through uh, the genetics that they had, what they were growing in the garden and try to find the things that we thought were higher quality, not necessarily highest THC, although that's obviously a factor that consumers consider, but we really look at the terpene characteristics uh, and try to find some things that are unique, some things that um, are classics, and just try to build a menu that is going to appeal to the diversity of folks that Willie appeals to himself. And then you mentioned you're working in a new company Hervé. Hervé. Hervé, yeah. Can you spell that for us? It's fancy, yeah. It's H-E-R-V-E, and the last E there's got a little accent over it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, a, a great, great story. This is a guy, uh, Sebastian Sentner, uh, founded the company. He ran a big events company in Toronto. I think they did about 2,000 events in 2019. Um, lots of high-end clientele were coming to him and asking him uh, about infused uh, desserts and a fused dining experience. And so he created this incredible, it's a, it's a macaron, which is, I'm learning is, is a, uh, a delicacy in France. It's a, it's a dessert. It's basically a cookie, 
uh, with very delicate shells and a just incredible tasting filling. And you can find them in different stores, but I would set these apart. They taste incredible, even not considering the fact that they have cannabis uh, in them as well. But that product and that brand was launched on Valentine's Day last year in Nevada uh, to tremendous success. Uh, got lots of publicity. People loved it, sold very well. And then, of course, as we know, the world ended about a month later. And then uh, Nevada, as some people may know, got hit harder than most from in the cannabis industry. They shut down their uh, stores and then they allowed uh, retailers to open back up with delivery services. Well, none of them had delivery services up and running prior to COVID. So it was a big lift there. And the team at Hervé had the choice, well, do we pack up and go back to Canada or do we keep going. They decided to keep going and they developed some really strong relationships with retailers there. They developed a great following with uh, the folks there in Las Vegas and the rest of Nevada who really appreciate the, the, the difference in the product. Um, and, and it was overall a successful year. So now fast forward to 2021. Uh, the company's on solid footing in Nevada, and Sebastian hired me to help take the brand to the rest of the country. So a lot of what I did at uh, Willie's, I'm, I'm going to do again with Hervé, and very excited to be doing it. And I think what what I would say is the common link between Willie's and Hervé is just the authenticity, right? There's been plenty of companies, uh, especially here in California, that have called themselves you know, high end or a luxury brand. And at the end of the day, the product really didn't deliver on that commitment. That's what I see as the big distinction here. Same thing with Willie's. Uh, before that brand launched, there were other celebrities that put their names on products. But again, the attention to the quality wasn't there. The authenticity wasn't there. And, and ultimately, those brands have not been as successful. So I think those are the two key things that I, I see in both of the brands and why I'm so excited about this new opportunity. Good luck with you. Can't wait to uh, Thanks. ship we're, some out. We're working on bringing it here to California. So hopefully uh, later this year, you'll be able to get it here in California. Cool. Um, so in your experience and travels, um, going to all these states across the country that are legal and now and more coming on board every day, I can only imagine how crazy New York will become. In your experience, like who do you think has their shit more together? Oh, boy. That, <laughs> that wasn't the question I was expecting. Um who has their shit most together? Well, I think from a regulatory perspective, I definitely don't want to talk shit about regulators because that's a good way to get uh, in trouble in my line of work. But I guess what I would say, what I often say is I really think that the regulations in Colorado, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely things that make you scratch your head for sure, like anywhere. But I think Colorado has done the best job of, of balancing the regulations where they're able to uh, allow businesses to start, but we're not faced with a situation where there's uh, a significant oversupply, where you have too many businesses or too much cannabis being cultivated for it to be distributed within the state legally. And you see those issues in other states where, you know, there, there really are very few limits on production, so they might have an oversupply situation. And the other side of the coin is in, in states where there's a uh, 
so many restrictions that there's not enough cannabis cultivated, you wind up with really high prices. And that's not fair to consumers. So I think you do have to strike that balance. I think Colorado's done a really nice job of doing that. So I would point to them as probably the one to follow. Right. And also as with Colorado being the first, like you said, with the, the regulatory process, the taxing process, the bureaucracy right. of it, you know, everyone's doing their own thing. It'll be very, and it's very interesting to be reading about New York and seeing how they're approaching yeah. it. I think, uh, you know, I'm actually a little bit disappointed, to be honest, because a few years ago, Colorado hosted uh, states, attorneys general and and regulators from across the country. I think about 300 or so so showed up for a a summit. And I think Colorado's regulatory framework uh, ought to be and could have been and should have been a blueprint that, that a lot of other states could have followed. And they're not. And and ultimately, in my experience, states are trying to do two things. They're trying to keep cannabis away from kids, which they should be doing. Definitely agree with that. They're trying to keep organized crime out of the legal cannabis business, which again, great, good work. The problem is when they get creative, right? When Especially legislators, when, when the folks that are there who are writing the laws start to get into the detail of creating the actual structure and the regulations of how we do business, that's when the problems arise. Yeah. And I think that's what we have here. For sure. You know, and also an issue here is, you know, cities and towns having the option to opt out and blacklist it, which is the case here. Here in Marin County, it's delivery only, which is a great benefit for us here at Nice Guys Delivery. But it would be nice to, you know, also be able to cruise down the street and have the Nice Guys dispensary. You know, yeah, it's I think it's it's ultimately going to be a question of time when municipalities decide that they don't want legal cannabis in their in their towns, in their cities. Illegal cannabis is still there. So you're you're you by by not allowing one, you're you're saying, okay, we're going to allow illegal cannabis to still thrive here right and then shooting yourself in the foot losing out on the on those tax benefits well i was just going to say that i think you know just like we saw one of the one of the big catalysts for legalization in colorado and in washington and oregon in 2009 was the financial crisis that we went through there and the result uh, in a huge decrease in state and, and local sales tax and income tax revenue. And now here we are again, as a result of the COVID pandemic, states, cities, counties are all looking for new sources of revenue. And sure enough, cannabis is back to the forefront again. So I think over time, it, it'll happen, but it may not. I mean, there's still plenty of states that treat alcohol the same way. You go to Texas, there's dry counties, wet counties, you go across the street, you're in a different county, there's a liquor store there. So, you know, it's no different within than with cannabis. Let's talk about your association now with Redwood Roots and our friends up there. Um, yeah, I, I met those folks at the first Emerald Cup. I went. Yeah, to tell your years. story. I, I heard this is the this is a great story. I love this story. Well, um, hats off to the Emerald Cup, which is just this unbelievable event that happens in Santa Rosa, California every year. Looking forward to it coming back this year after not having it this past year. 
and I guess it started small up in Humboldt County and Mendocino yep. County a bunch of years ago. And it's, it's like a county fair for cannabis growers. Yeah. They give a, a blue ribbon to the best weed, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, the first time I was, I was like, it's like Disneyland for cannabis. Oh, so, amazing. You know, it's just a, gr- a great event and it's just become bigger and better as the years go on. Uh, there's music incorporated into it as well. So my first year there, I'm walking around and I come across the, the folks at Redwood <laughs> Roots. Went out, met those guys, talked to them and sampled some of their wares. And anyway, and then they said, hey, um, see that bag over there? If you can guess the weight of this bag, you'll win a pound. How much did it weigh? Well, I looked at the bag and I was like, okay, this is years of experience at work. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like, okay. It's not 1,229 grams. It's 829 grams. It was 842. Wow. So walking That expertise finally came in handy there. It came through, and uh, I couldn't believe it. And it was was just the bag was, you know, all outdoor, organic grown, beautiful stuff. And it was just like a a bunch of, it was like a smorgasbord all all in one bag. You you got any left, or did you go through it yet? Uh, (laughs) <laughs> well, that was uh, a lot of beautiful Christmas presents that year. Excellent. You know, I love it. Good. But, you know, to, wa- to walk around the Emerald Cup with a giant bag of a, you know, turkey did, bag of a pound of weed on your shoulder. I mean, like, what the fuck? Did, I was going to ask, did they even notice or was it just, oh, well, it's just the Emerald Cup, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but That's it, was funny. Great. it was great to meet those guys. And then the next year I went, you know, meet, went back to their booth. I'm like. All right, where's the uh, where's the bag? They're like, oh, we're not doing it this year. Like, oh, I wiped you out. Sorry. That's great. So t- tell us about how, yeah. you, how you ran into them and, well, uh, and it, what you're doing for them. For sure, I'd love to. Uh, definitely, pounds of weed were involved in in how I met them. So we have uh, a little bit in common there, but. The way I got to know them was working with Willie's Reserve here in California. We originally we launched the brand with a with a company that was based in the Emerald Triangle and in working with them, I got to know a lot of the farmers and you'd mentioned a, a few of them earlier. Uh, Ron Kennedy from Catalyst Farms is one. Johnny Casali from Huckleberry Hill Farms. Tina Gordon from Moon Maid. Uh, Matt Johansson from Star Song. You know, just to name a few. I, I really have developed some great friendships, really, with those farmers. And it's just such a, a beautiful community. Love being up in the Redwoods and being around those folks. And so when we were looking to do five packs with Willie's Reserve in, in California, I started to look around and, and see who could source that kind of flower for us. Um, and that's where I met Redwood Roots. And Chris Anderson uh, was introduced to me by some of the farmers. And Chris is a fourth or fifth generation Humboldt native. He and his family have had a place right on the Mendocino Humboldt County line for you know generations now. And Chris knew a lot of the farmers, and he had a collective uh, for a while. And a few years back, he started uh, this distribution company. And one of the few, if not only, locally uh, funded, locally started distribution companies in the state, and he, he built it from scratch, from the ground up. And Redwood Roots now represents, I think, close to 200 farmers. And he works with more Emerald Cup winners than any other distributor that I know of. And so it's definitely, when you think about sustainably grown cannabis in the way that it has been traditionally grown in California now for generations, 
Chris and, and Redwood Roots, I think, do the best job of uh, working with those types of farmers and, and bring, making that kind of product available. So it was a great opportunity to work with Chris and his team. I joined the board of directors earlier this year, um, and I'm helping them as they grow and grow. They had a, a big year last year, and they're planning to have another big year this year. So I'm helping them with, with some of their strategy, helping them with some of the partnerships that they're working on, and helping them uh, make sure that they can build a company that's going to be around for more and more generations. Has their uh, retail reach gone down to Southern California? Yeah, definitely. So they primarily are distributing bulk flour. That's the the big chunk of their business. Uh, but they are working with some really great farmers. Jason Gelman from Ridgeline Farms, who's who won the Emerald Cup in 2018 and 2019 back to back, is one of the farmers they distribute for. Savage Huckleberry Hill Farms that I mentioned earlier, Califari. Um, several brands. So they're distributing several retail brands as well. Um, a number of retailers in the Bay Area and as well in, in Southern California. It's interesting though, because I, I think in, in California, surprisingly, the word isn't out as much on that sun-grown emerald triangle cannabis. So they're, they're working to get the word out, but more people need to know about it. This is where it's at. Do they also sell their own brand? There is, yeah. So there's a Redwood Roots brand uh, of, of flour as well. And that's more curated. They'll uh, pick from different farmers and uh, feature it in their brand. So Redwood Roots uh, doesn't have a cultivation themselves, but they'll, they do have a brand that, that features farmers from around the Emerald Triangle. Good. Well, well, great. Best of luck with that. And Thank I, you so you know, much. The more, the more Emerald Triangle sun grown that gets out in the world, yeah. the better world it'll be. What do you foresee the future? You know, you've been in this cannabis industry yeah. for quite a while now, yeah. and you've seen a lot of growth, and you've seen a lot of probably crazy things. And, Lots of crazy things. And uh, so, what what do you think the future holds in terms of this country? In terms of um, it becoming not a Schedule One drug, right? Or, you know. I don't know if the politics is going to change in our lifetime. We'll see about that. But right. what, what do you what do you think is is going to you know in the in the foreseeable future? What do you? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting the pace. I, I guess you know when after this last election, when the Democrats took over. Uh, the Senate and and Congress fully, I think that was a, a big shot in the arm for a lot of us in the industry. You saw a lot of investors coming into the industry a, a, a little bit. It picked up, I would say. Um, and that's been one of the biggest challenges that, that we have in the cannabis industry is financial backing. When you know, you look at other industries that have startup companies, right? Let's think about technology, software, internet, or healthcare, biotech. Um, in those industries, there are a lot of investors out there, trillions of dollars in, in money that is there to support businesses as they grow. And even, you know, simple banking transactions. And I'm not talking about writing checks. I'm talking about 
going to a bank and saying, hey, I've got all these orders. I just need to go buy the inventory and then um, I'll be able to sell these orders and pay you back in 30 days. That type of banking happens you know, a million times while we were just talking here. It doesn't happen in the cannabis business. And so those are fundamentally the investment and the commercial banking are still big changes that we need to have success. While there's trillions of dollars being invested in industries like again, technology, uh, biotech, life sciences, there's really only about a billion, maybe $2 billion. I know it sounds like a lot of money, but investable money that's focused on the cannabis industry on a relative basis, that's pretty small. So I think that's one of the biggest changes that we really need to have happen in order for the industry to get up and going and be on solid financial backing. Because even the most successful companies in the cannabis industry, to a certain extent, have significant financial hurdles that you wouldn't see in any other business. So I think that's going to be coming. And, and it's not going to really happen until we're legalized at the federal level. I think if you come back to sustainably grown uh, cannabis, uh, that's where I think the greatest opportunity lies for Emerald Triangle producers. If you, there was a, a study that was released by Colorado State University about a month and a half ago, um, and they showed that the amount of CO2 that is produced by one kilogram of indoor cultivated cannabis is equivalent to roughly the amount of CO2 that's produced by a car over the course of a year. And so when you think about that style of cultivation and, and those types of environmental outcomes, I think as we go forward, cannabis consumers, just like people who drink milk, coffee, any kind of a product, are going to be more and more concerned about how it's produced, and the environmental impact that that production has on our planet. And so I believe fundamentally that that's going to create a preference for sustainably grown, sun-grown, outdoor-grown cannabis, and it's going to be more expensive and harder to cultivate it indoors as time goes by. So ultimately what I see is just like for the wine industry, Bordeaux and Burgundy, in France, or even Sonoma and Napa County in California are known and admired for the terroir, for the, the regions, for producing significant uh, and differentiated wine products. I think we'll see that same uh, approach in, in cannabis where Humboldt County in particular is going to get exported globally someday. So that's the future that I'm looking forward to. That's the future I'm preparing for. I don't know if it's five years down the road, 10 years down the road, uh, but man, I wish it was five. Lastly, I'll just uh, leave off with the things that brought you and me together as friends, which is live music and cannabis and what an incredible pairing those two things are. I'm just so glad to have uh, this pandemic mostly behind us. We saw some tour dates get announced this morning. Yeah, and a little Outlaw Country Festival with uh, Willie Nelson and a bunch of other great people coming yeah. later this year. Looking forward to that. Yeah, And it, it feels like, yeah. I'm, slowly, I'm looking forward to get back on the road again with uh, you, buddy. Yeah, believe me, I can't wait. Ryan Hunter from the Redwood Roots family here on the Nice Guys Delivery Podcast. Thanks, guys. Make sure to check out Nice Guys Delivery at niceguysdelivery.com for all your delivery needs here in Marin County, California. What's all
fire from here. Sometimes we can see his fire from here. 